You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. morning welcome to the show it is friday august the 5th good to be back with you thanks to tom for an excellent show with lee moss's head yesterday i'm coming to you from saratoga i can't tell you what the weather is because it's 4 19 in the morning as i'm recording this but it was very hot when i got here yesterday well up into the 90s and then got very wet for a little bit last night as well and i think that's going to be the motif for the rest of the weekend uh, and there is a heat advisory out for tomorrow so um, if you are in upstate New York, it's going to be pretty sticky, as I think it is going to be in Europe for much of next week as the heat wave continues. And whilst eyes are looking everywhere in the UK for something to divert the racing fans' attention, whether it's the Racing League or the Shergar Cup or the Super Sunday Series, there is very, very, very good racing on this weekend in Ireland and in France. Indeed, it is not impossible that we see the best two-year-old this season in the Phoenix Stakes at the Curra on Saturday. And indeed, that we've got the champion sprinter crowned in the pre-Morris de Geest at Deauville on Sunday. Lydia Hislop is with me this morning. Uh, Lydia, sometimes you just have to cast your eye a little bit wider to find the good ones. Yes, uh, the Curra and Deauville both have excellent races this weekend. Deauville was also in Group 1 action earlier this week. And over in Britain, we've got um, competitive racing, which is of interest to many people and is at least largely hitting field sizes, which the rest of the Canada can look on with envy. Yes, absolutely. More of which in a few moments' time. But first of all, this Phoenix Stakes, the Group 1, We've spoken to several of the connections this week. It was really striking how confident both Archie Watson and Richard Hannon were uh, about their horses who were first and second in the Coventry Stakes, Brad Sell and Persian Force. But Aidan O'Brien has won this race 16 times. Yes, 16 times he has won this Group 1 race. The more astonishing thing is that he hasn't won the last four, given the confidence of uh, Richard Hannon and Archie Watson, Lydia, should the master of Ballydoyle with 16 victories in this race be quaking in his boots again? <laughs> um, well, from a British perspective, you'd like you'd like to think so. I mean, I think the the racing fan is uh, very much served by uh, the Group One Phoenix Stakes. It's it's it is the best um, two year old race that we've seen so far this season. It will be um, provided uh, they all stand their ground. Um, and even so, if one if one were to perfect, it would still be incredibly strong. Such is the strength of depth. Persian Force has obviously got to overturn that defeat by Bradsell. Um, two starts back for, for Persian Force. He's since gone on to win the July Stakes Group 2. He was defeated in the Coventry Stakes by Brad Sill. That was the, that horse's only second start. He's the least experienced horse in the field and you could argue is therefore um, the one that's still open to perhaps the most improvement still. But other horses have been improving as well. Um, Blackbeard was well behind, and he's one of two for, for Aidan O'Brien, was well behind Brad Sill and Persian Force in the Coventry, could never quite get into it. He's since finished second to the progressive Chartash, who will only be having his fourth start. That was in the railway stakes when they clashed. 
Um, Blackbeard went on to win the Robert Papin, beating the Antarctic, who won at Group 3 at Deauville on Tuesday. Um, and Little Big Bear, who was the choice of Ryan Moore, one of two for Aidan O'Brien, well, he was the wide-margin Anglesey winner last time at Group 3, and previously had won the Windsor Castle, which is looking very solid form. And you could even throw in Apache Law, because it was a huge step forward that he took last time when third in the railway stakes behind Chartash and Blackbeard. So this is a super competitive race, and I'm really looking forward to it. And we spoke to Johnny Murta yesterday on the podcast as well. So if you want to hear what Johnny Murta, um, Richard Hannon and Archie Watson have to say about their contenders for the sixth run of Phoenix Stakes Group 1 at the Curra, which takes place tomorrow, Saturday afternoon, you can do so by listening to the podcast earlier this week. And I'm sure Charlotte will recap some of those on the Saturday edition as well. Uh, you've been in Deauville this week, Lydia. How was it? <laughs> It was gorgeous, really, really gorgeous. Funny enough, and this is a, something of a confession, it's the first time I've ever been to Deauville, and I was just struck by how beautiful the race course is. You can walk uh, to it from the town, and obviously it's holiday season in the town and the hot temperatures that you were referring to earlier in this um, podcast. Um, they're at play in France as well. I mean, it's, just, it's scorchingly hot over there, proper beach weather, but those people who are holidaying in Deauville can go to the beach or they can walk to the race course. And um, I was really struck by the relaxed feel um, when I walked through the door at Deauville. Um, my other half and I, we had uh, lunch there in the open air, which was, uh, you know, it was pretty good food, um, which we weren't overcharged for. Um, you could wander around the race course without people stopping you here, there and everywhere. There was a good view. Um, you, you mean you weren't besieged by autograph hunters? <laughs> Unaccountably that's, not. That's not, not. That's not quite what you meant, is it? It meant that you could ro- it meant that you f- could roam freely without somebody in a tabard stopping you walking into places where you and should. Saying, and saying you don't have the right badge for this, you don't have the right badge for that. I know that you can't. That, that the quickest way for me to be is going through that gate. But can you go all the way around the other gate? Um, you know, it was. It has a has a nice. It had a really nice feeling about it, and the racing was really hugely competitive as well. Um, and obviously, the high point was the the group one. And the pre Rothschild that was won by um, Saffron Beach and Jane Chapel Higham. Um, for the French, um, they wouldn't have been so pleased to see all of their races, all of their pattern races and listed races go out for export. But uh, yes, apart from that, uh, it was a, it was a good it was a, it was very good racing to watch, and I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, Jane and I were chatting about this uh, earlier in the week about about how few of the Group Ones in France have gone to French horses this year. Um, I mean, Verdani and Ernesto being very, very honourable exceptions, and they could strut their stuff on on any stage. You would have thought. Is is the tide turning? Do you think? Are there any signs that the tide is turning, or do you think that this is something that the French are going to have to sit and suffer until some big owner breeder investment comes in? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it is it is a concern for them. Um, I think of their um, 14 group ones so far in 2020, only three have gone to um, French trained winners so far. So um, they are, you know, it, it, this has been a, a focus for a while. It's that double whammy of having you know good prize money, the domestic population not being that deep. So therefore, their races look doubly attractive to mm. runners from Ireland and Britain that might not otherwise have have traveled um and so yeah I, i'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping that there's going to be an upturn i mean uh Vardeni and ernesto are very very positive high spots aren't they yeah they are where, where they will rank overall I, I think by the end of the year um so uh, there are some some positives there but at the moment they're just a couple of swallows and not a summer
Uh, but at least if your house is built on solid foundations, there is a there is a very strong prospect that that the good times will come in terms of your in terms of your good horses. We'll come back to that in a little while. Let's talk about the the pre Morris de Geest. And this is rather a case in point. 14 runners, nine of them trained overseas. One of those is Artorias, Australian trained, been based in Newmarket for the last few months, taking in some of Europe's biggest sprint races. His co-trainer is Sam Friedman. While Artorias, Sam, has been staying put in, in England largely, you've been dotting backwards and forwards. You've now arrived in France. How have you been holding up to the travelling? Yeah, no, it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's... Um not that easy traveling at the moment with airports a bit, a bit chaotic but um yeah it's good to be good to be in france now and hopefully hopefully the trip back's worth it so you've left artorias here through the the three big races the platinum jubilee the july cup and, and the morris de geest was that always in your in your mind before you even came for royal ascot that that would be the program the program was always involving at least two runs the july cup and platinum jubilee and then the pre-marice Probably came on the cards just prior to the July Cup. Um, Henry Field, managing owner, sort of gave us gave me a call and just said, "Look, maybe it's worth us putting this on his radar." And you know, it felt felt like it was certainly the right race. I mean, everything had to be right with the horse to warrant continuing on. But um, you know, he's he's pulled up super from the July Cup, and it seems like a you know logical run for him. I'm trying to get a handle on the horse. It, he obviously has a similar run style back back home as well. It, is he a horse who tends to make his own bad luck a little bit, or or does he just deserve a, a break? Yeah, like he does. He doesn't make anything easy for himself. Um, you know, even his even his main win as a two year old in the Group One Blue Diamond. You know, he was well back and and got a nice run through them. He, he just needs things to go right, and I think that's probably the case with most back markers. Um, you, know, you just need the brakes at the right time. He needs pace at the right stage of the race, um, but then he also needs them to, to come back to him and touch so that he can, you know, get in touch with them. So, um, you know, the extra hundred meters should suit. Um, hopefully, a flatter track, and you know, they tend to probably not go as relentless in France as they do in England, which you know should hopefully help him to just stay in touch with them. And, and how's he been? How's he adapted to to the surrounds of Newmarket? How's he trained there? Yeah, amazing. Look, he's he's come on every every run. His first run, you know, it was his first run for for some time, and um, you know, he still had a little bit of a winter coat on him, which he started to drop before the July Cup, and he looked magnificent there. And you know, photos of him since he's dappled up and got a full summer coat on him. So you couldn't ask for a horse to be handling you know, a journey like this any better. And look, if he wasn't handling it, we, we wouldn't be lining up on Sunday. He's a he's a valuable horse who's, you know, building on a CV, but, um, you know, we're hopeful that he can, he can go on and, you know, have a few more big wins in store. And, and it's one thing to kind of come in and smash and grab, uh, a bit like Chris did at, at Royal Ascot with, with Nature Strip. For you with this horse, it's a whole it's a whole regime you've got to put in place for for several months. Do you train him much the same as you do at home, or is there anything that you you necessarily have to do differently? Yeah, no, we've we've largely tried to adapt his training um, to what we do at home in Newmarket. It's not been that easy. Just trying to keep him on very flat surfaces and try and keep that sprint in his legs. I think Newmarket you know, can be quite easy to overdo it with the the hill canters and. You know, largely the gallops are all uphill, but he's done all his work on flat canters and, you know, the Cambridge poly 
Gallup Strip has been his friend over the last few weeks, so um, we've largely been able to to, to keep his, his routine much the same. And, you know, we're fortunate in Australia, we've got a private training facility that's very relaxed and, you know, not dissimilar to an environment like Newmarket. But, um, you know, yeah, little things change, but for the most part, we've kept it all the same. Sam, great to talk to you. Uh, is this going to presage a, a raft of Friedman runners in, in in Europe over the next few years? Do you think? No, oh, I'd love to think so. You know, we need we need the horses good enough. There's a couple of young ones coming through that you know hopefully put their hand up in the in the spring that's on our doorstep at home. And um, you know, if they do the right things, then then hopefully we can bring another one or two over next year. All right, great to talk. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks, Nick. Sam Friedman there, co-trainer of Arturis. Does the extra distance, Lydia, give this horse a chance of winning this European Group 1 that he's clearly got the talent to do? That's going to be the argument, isn't it, in terms of that extra half furlong will allow him to get motoring powerfully at the finish, while others potentially might be crying enough. I'm not sure. I mean, I like... I think Naval Crown brings the, the best form to the table after winning the Platinum Jubilee and finishing second in the July Cup. I think Highfield Princess is going to be advantaged by six and a half furlongs. I think she'll do better than her sixth in the Platinum Jubilee. Uh, we've got Minzal, who's, who looked very, very good, a future uh, potential champion sprinter as a two-year-old. Things didn't go to plan last, last season. But that win in the Hackwood last time was a, a career best and looks like Owen Burroughs might be able to get more out of him. So he becomes quite exciting. Perfect Power is on the chase again. He won the Commonwealth Cup looking very good and then was reported to be never travelling by Christophe Soumillon in the July Cup, maybe finding the ground a little bit too fast. So, you know, the conditions should be uh, a bit more suitable this time around. And we've got some three-year-olds as well. Um, you know, Miramar, who was fifth in the Commonwealth Cup after getting outpaced. He looks like he might like the trip. And Aka Kappa, who was fourth behind Tenebrism in the Jean Prat over seven furlongs. Again, you know, that's that was... You you know, deep, you know, mile slash seven furlong form. So that's an interesting element brought into into this race as well. But to me, Naval Crown brings the best. Uh, he's shown improved form the last twice, you know, really uh, top class sprinting form. And he's the one that they've all got to beat. Interestingly, William Buick will not be at Dable to ride Naval Crown. James Doyle will be riding him. William is here in Saratoga to ride Nation's Pride in the Saratoga Derby. I think he, he ought to win that race, to be honest with you, and win the Moonlight in the Saratoga Oaks on Sunday. And Charlie Appleby's coming here as well. Last year, Lydia, it was quite notable how Buick stayed away from the big foreign raids in, in America for, for this portion of the season because he was chasing that championship so hard. I wonder if this is a sign that he thinks he's got enough of a cushion. I would I would partly interpret it that way. I mean, he's had a, a continues to have a fantastic season, and clearly he will be conscious that his primary role is as number one jockey for Godolphin Worldwide. And so, you know, whilst there's always give and take in a good relationship, which William Buick has with Charlie Appleby, clearly, and uh, the two of them with James Doyle, um, and the to a, to a degree, Charlie Appleby was able to try and help William Buick prioritise chasing the Jockeys' Championship, and has done, and will do again. Uh, there comes a time when you know, that that that's your that's your prime your primary job must must take over and um, I do, I do think that uh, Nation's Pride in the uh, Saratoga Saratoga Derby Invitational is, is the is the primary job this this weekend so you know I, I can understand that but yeah I do I do think it does bespeak confidence and why wouldn't it uh, in in the UK the focus is on on jockeys just about everywhere Frankie Dettori captaining again at the Shergar Cup that hasn't happened for for quite some time he's captaining the european team 
on Saturday and some, some good jockeys at the Shogar Cup as well. Karen McAvoy, Christoph Lemaire and, and many more from around the world. We had the first leg of the Racing League, much of which has been spoken about this week already last night. Now, you've had a chance to zoom through a little bit of the Racing League coverage, Lydia. It was covered by both ITV and Sky. Uh, how do you think it's gone down? Well, at this point, I mean, I was away in France, as you said, so I, I wasn't able to watch it live. And at the moment, I've only watched the ITV coverage. I do intend to watch the Sky Sports Racing coverage as well, um, albeit, as you say, oh, partly on like speed, like speed reading. Um, but I mean, they've they threw the ITV threw a lot of enthusiasm at it. They had Matt Chapman hosting. Natalie Green was there with Jason Weaver and Luke Harvey. There was some, you know, fun elements to it, and uh, some B-word banter warning uh, sort of interjected between Matt Chapman and Jamie Osborne between the the two of them as, as captain to the team which was nice there was a sort of relaxed feel to it um people um clearly uh, according to racing post reports going along to see what it's like even if they were a little bit skeptical i mean from a if you take a step back they had seven races the smallest field at doncaster was 11 runners so they're playing out full each way places for every single one of those seven races also part of the essence of the of the the races means that you get points down to 10th which means that jockeys will be pushing out to the line and and, and clearly that that uh, balance between pushing out and not using the whip um, in the latter stages in a way that you uh, wouldn't do in other races is something that has to be um, uh, focused up, upon I think or at least people need to, need to be aware of but everybody's got to like horses being pushed out I stress uh, for for places um, they haven't been successful in getting buy-in from big name brands which is what they'd hoped to do last year and they've now switched to a regional format which they hope will um, a grab people's uh, domestic uh, imagination a little bit more and also reaches a greater uh, number of trainers it seems it's it's I think not not unanimously, but more widely seem to be a bit more uh, democratic, a bit more inclusive than it was last year. So on the whole, I, I would say it's a, it's a net positive. The team element of it you know, doesn't particularly appeal to me. But uh, from what, what I watched, it's not it, it's if you're just watching those races as races, there's nothing not to like. Well, no doubt the star of the show last night at uh, Doncaster. The first leg of the Racing League was Sean Levy, who walked away with a treble, and that placed uh, the London and the South team uh, well ahead, much to the delight of their team manager, Matt Chapman. Uh, Sean's with me now. Sean, first of all, I'm, obviously I wasn't there because I'm, I'm in America at the moment. What was the atmosphere like at Doncaster last, last night? How, how was it for you? Do you know what, Nick? Um, it was, the atmosphere was great. I think, I think everyone's getting into it now, especially, especially us, the way room. It felt brilliant. Atmosphere was 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 very good. I thought, um, you know, it resembled it resembled most most festival meetings. Um, everyone was definitely hyped for it. Um, to be fair, I was expecting just to enjoy the day more more than anything. You know, um, I had seven rides, a full book um, for good trainers, and I had I had chances. So. No, I just, I just, I was just expecting to enjoy the day, really. And obviously, when the racing's that competitive, it, your expectations can't be that high. And it's a point that we were making that you're getting full fields. All the horses have some sort of a chance. No, exactly. Very competitive fields with you know everything there with, with with some sort of a chance, no doubt. And I think that that definitely reflected on how how the racing went yesterday. You know, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't a huge margin between any horse really yesterday. I thought personally the atmosphere was the best, was the biggest thing of it. You know, it was very well televised, and 
you could tell with everyone riding in it like how 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 they they were enjoying it and you you've been in in pretty good form most of the season Sean more winners at, at Goodwood last week you've got an important ride tomorrow in the Sweet Solera a horse called uh, Al Sayoub for for Ishmael Mohammed who who won under under your handling at the July festival how hopeful are you that she can make an impression in stakes company um, to be honest she was quite impressive considering um Ishmael did say that she wasn't 100% ready so with that said she, he obviously thought she would come on and no doubt she'd have to come on to to compete in a, in in the race on on Saturday so you know she, there's obviously improvement there and she has every chance especially after handing the track as well as she did last time and I know everybody who's who's involved with the Richard Hannon Yard, as you are, will be keeping a close eye on what happens in Ireland tomorrow afternoon. Richard spoke very positively about Persian Force um, when I spoke to him on the on the podcast earlier in the week. You've obviously seen him at close quarters. How impressed are you by him as a as an athlete? I mean, Persian Force, not Richard Hannon, obviously. <laughs> obviously, not Hannon. Um, he um, he's a very good horse, but I think what's what's most What's most I like about him is he's very he's very straightforward tactically, as he's shown in, in you know in, in in all his runs so far. He has to prove that he has that little bit of class, you know, for that level. Um, but I I'd say he he shows, especially at home, he shows he has all the attributes you you'd, you'd want in a Group One horse. So I think you know to be fair, he is definitely the one to beat. Sean Levy there, the hero of the first leg of the racing league, which took place at Doncaster last night. And whilst there are clearly positive sentiments toward the racing league and and some people who are just never going to like it, perhaps more interestingly, we need to examine the effect of it on the sport as a whole. Of course, I spoke with, with Dave about this earlier in the week. And again, he was pretty positive about it as well. But we talked about the, the displacement effect because you've got X many horses. You've got lots of these, um, well-meaning sounds patronising. I don't mean to sound patronising. You've got lots of these interestingly conceived ideas to try and ginger up the programme like this and the Shergar Cup and the uh, Sunday series and whatnot. Um, that obviously is going to have an impact on other parts of the program. Is it time just to, before we get the Savile the report recommendations approved or not, or otherwise, is it actually time just to look at that period of the calendar and say, well, hang on a minute, we don't need all these 0 to 80 or 0 to 85s everywhere else. These are catering from just fine. Well, I mean, I, I would stress that the comments, you know, my positive comments about um, the Racing League is viewing it in isolation. If you view it or the Sunday series or any, any other kind of piecemeal suggestions as part of a whole, that's where you get into a difficulty. And that is where the fact that these things have sprung up because of a, of a lack of, of strategy for the racing industry. And I know um, those at the top of the thought suggest that there has been one, albeit at the same time saying they're currently working on one. Um, you know, that, that's the problem with them. If these ideas were consistent with a strategic approach to the sport, you wouldn't have this issue of these meetings sucking away runners from other race meetings because it would have been part of a coherent strategy and you would be able to look over the entirety of it and decide how best to place your money, best to place your races, best to therefore attract the right number of horses to make competitive racing with good each way field sizes i.e a minimum of, of, of eight runners that is not the case at the moment and thereby lies the problem there are lots of different initiatives knocking around both over jumps and in, in the flat but they they risk undermining some of the fundamental 
structures of the sport if they are not part of a strategy, which they are not. And that is not healthy. You can see what the effects of a sport being pulled in different directions are, is. You only have to look at the race meetings day in, day out. So, yeah, I mean, whilst I, in isolation, I think it was a, it was a good, good day at Doncaster, uh, look, looked at the bigger picture, it's not helpful. Um, but, you know, that's not just, it's not just their fault. It's also the industry's fault for um, n- not having a strategy and not having a, um, a structure uh, which empowers some form of centralised control. Uh, the you know the, the tripartite decision making structure you know d- does does not work, um, and mainly because it, it doesn't enable uh, the uh, governing body to take an objective, uh, forward looking view. It, it strikes me that much as much as the the population of the nation is doing at the moment we as as racing fans are opening our arms wide and participants are opening our arms wide getting down on our knees and pleading at the at the administrators do something now <laughs> there's been a there's been a call this week that there's been a lack of urgency even though we had the Savile report last um last week is that fair is it fair to to say that there's been a lack of urgency within within the corridors of, of power Yes, I think it is absolutely totally fair. Um, there was an opportunity, I much talked about opportunity earlier this year when the BHA had had a, a, an opportunity to, to what would, in the net scheme of things, it would probably have been a gesture, but would have at least indicated a, a direction of travel whereby they could have reduced the number of fixtures in 2023 by 250. Um, and, you know, that uh, opportunity was ducked. Um, and people have been talking about the field size and sort of say, saying, oh, yes, we can see that there's a short-term issue, but we don't think it's a real problem, so we're going to carry on sailing towards that iceberg um, at this point. Um, and, oh, we, but we, we will review it if it becomes so absolutely wholly and indefensible that we have to, that we have to do that. Um, yeah, there is, there, not enough is being done. It's not being done quickly enough. I mean, it was Peter Savile from the outside towards the decision makers in the, in the industry, the existing uh, power structure of governance within the industry, by which I mean the race courses, primarily, uh, the thoroughbred group and the BHA, um, that it, it was the, the, the suggestion put forward has come from outside of, the, of, of, that, of that structure, from Peter Savile and the, the so-called power brokers around him. Um, so they can't really, whilst, it, whilst some of the suggestions that they make might overlap with some of the thoughts that the BHA have put forward um, they can't claim ownership of that report and even though Lydia the big race courses Ascot York Goodwood have all come out strongly in support of many of the recommendations that the Savile report has has put forward and even though there seem to be some some fairly warm noises from members of the BHA board Joe Somer Smith and others what chance most of these recommendations are in place by 2024 or is it going to be gradually filibustered by lots of self-interest? I think the latter probably if I was to judge the racing industry on its um, its track record and current and current behaviours I fear things are going to get have to get a lot worse before minds are uh, more concentrated um, of course, we don't know, we on the outside don't know the full detail of what's been put forward uh, by Peter Savile. And so you'd have to be cautious in terms of, you know, uh, wholly recommending it as the way forward. Um, 
as when we spoke about it before, I, I agree with his diagnosis, but I think, you know, you'd have to be a member of the governance section not to agree with his diagnosis of the problems that are there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not confident that anything is going to happen very quickly and that self-interest won't take over. And, you know, we still haven't had the final outcome of the governance structure, the questions that, um, the, uh, chair of the um what was then the horseman's group now is the thoroughbred group um and the rca have asked about uh, the bha's role within um governance we still haven't had the final answer on that and i think that so much of what can be done will rely on uh what the power structure actually looks like on the other side but it can't look like it currently looks um uh, and i certainly wouldn't want it to be a landscape whereby the race courses have more control than they do now well, it is true to say that the BHA does have a bulging intray and does do its best to get through it. Um, we're trying to catch up with the news today. The, the press release has just dropped explaining their reasoning for not asking the racing group to revisit the matter of overseas trained runners not being allowed to run in the lowest uh, grades of, uh, of handicaps in, in the UK. Lydia, Jane Mangan, our friend and colleague on this podcast, has said the mind boggles promote mediocrity settle for less um is she right or have the bha got a point excluding what it effectively irish horses from running in low-grade handicaps in britain i can see her argument but and generally as a, as a rule i would be um against protectionism instinctively but i think the bha has a point here as well uh, first of all i should make the point that i am on the racing group um, and that it is a committee, committee decisions are made either unanimous or by, by a majority vote. Um, and as uh, Richard Wayman, who is the Chief Operations Officer of the BHA, has said, this question has been put to the uh, racing group twice, and uh, as a result of that, it won't be revisited as it has been um, discussed thoroughly twice in, in recent meetings. So essentially, the, the key points are that low-grade British handicaps are not, as a rule, struggling for runners, uh, that uh, domestically horses trained in Britain are often being balloted out of those kind of races, and that the impact value of overseas trained horses, mostly Irish trained horses, is disproportionately high, and they've produced data dating back to 2012. Um, Jane has made the point that um, the uh, performing uh, overseas runners uh, performing above statistical expectations is a handicappers issue, surely. Uh, cl and clearly that is, but uh, I would like to see the reaction um, from uh, Ireland if uh, the horses were uh, handicapped on the basis of uh, their, their current disproportionate impact value. I think that's, you know, this is one of the issues between having two sets of horse populations that at this level do not really meet. It means that their uh, two handicap marks seem not to peacefully uh, coexist in some instances. Um, but and this is this is a, a practical reason why i mean i don't agree with jane's view that uh it's sort of set settling for a lesser standard of horses i mean i could buy that if we were talking about top class horses but we're talking about class five and class six horses here so we're talking about one um lowly rated one one horse that might be slightly highly rate more highly rated than another lowly rated horse you know we're we're not talking about i don't think quality as an argument really lands here and essentially what 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 the bha is saying they don't see why they should give an outlet for and in effect subsidize an owner's decision 
to have in training a horse that the Irish racing system currently does not give a run to and and to prioritise those horses ahead of horses that are trained in Britain under the, the British racing racing system. And I think that it, that is essentially their stance. So what Jane is arguing is that um, Ireland should be, that those horses should carry on being trained in Ireland, mm. but they should race in Britain. Um, you know, and, 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 and British racing says that they, they don't see the upside for Britain in that. Uh, and Gordon Elliott has been one of the most vociferous critics because it is uh, his string that this will affect the most. Um, he will also be taking a keen interest in news that's just uh, been confirmed that the Per Temps final at the Cheltenham Festival, uh, an age-old handicap hurdle run over three miles for which you have to qualify. The qualification has been changed, so you now have to finish in the first four in a qualifier rather than in the first six. Of course, in the old days, you just had to, I think, be declared overnight didn't you to get in yes yes you did that's right yes and that that was I mean, we've moved to more and more um stringent slash realistic uh, yeah. rules when martin pipe declared 27 of his horses uh, <laughs> for, an, for a for a meeting that had a 99 percent chance of, of frozen abandonment at warwick i think that was the straw that broke the camel's back wasn't it well you, you always sort of think what to say to rule makers think ahead <laughs> well no yeah very few people could think faster than martin pike when it came to that sort of thing uh, what effect is this going to have is it going to make a material difference to the caliber of the race or how difficult it is to win or what type of horse wins it it means that um people won't so be so greatly smugly satisfied by getting fifth or sixth in 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 race qualifying races particularly certain qualifying races i personally think it should be linked to the availability of each way betting um so if it's if it if it's four places you know traditional traditional odds then four horses should qualify if it's three places then three should qualify and unlikely in a quali- in a pertens qualifier because they tend to attract fields if it's two places it should be two i don't like the idea that qualification for the main event uh, runs contrary to how punters will be paid on the day. Right, yeah, I get that. But aren't we, aren't we in danger of a situation where we just don't, <laughs> if familiar refrain, don't have enough horses to run in the final? Uh, I don't think so. Really? No, I don't think so. Do you? Well, I'm just thinking, there aren't that many qualifiers, are there? I mean, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how many there are. Given the natural attrition rate and how likely it is or unlikely that horses make it make it all the way to the target, I don't know. I'm just wondering whether you're allowing yourself enough wriggle room, but I'm guessing that smarter than people, people than me have worked all this out. And Okay, so those are concerns, but I think it would be very difficult to argue that the pre-existing criteria where all sorts of intricacies uh, could be uh, achieved in, in terms of, of how the horse is trained or, or runs to get fifth or sixth, which runs contrary to what the punter actually gets on the day, I think it would be very difficult to argue that that is a satisfactory situation. And I did say we were trying to catch up with the news that's rapidly dropping today. Uh, Rafe yeah. Beckett has tweeted that Angel Blurt will miss the rest of the season as having to have surgery on a fetlock after being injured at Goodwood, but is going to be fine for next year by the looks of it. And the Japanese dual Middle East winner, Stay Foolish, who completed the cup double in uh, Saudi and Dubai, is going to run in the Group 2 Grand Prix de Deauville on Sunday, August August the 28th, before um, a tilt at the Qatar Prix de la Triomphe. So there you go. All right, well, the light is now coming up here in, in Saratoga. Um, yes, pretty heavy overcast skies. 
will be storm dodging, I think, during the course of the weekend. We've got a terrific race to look forward to here tomorrow. Well, several terrific races. There's the Test. There's also the Saratoga Derby, which Nations Pride, I think, will take an awful lot of beating in, as I was saying earlier in the programme. But the feature races, the Whitney, we've been talking about it during the course of the week. We spoke about it with Matt Bernier the other day. Also uh, with Todd Fletcher yesterday. And Tom's been busy talking to the connections of the leading fancies here. He posted a call yesterday to Doug O'Neill, the trainer of the very popular Hot Rod Charlie, the second in the Dubai World Cup. And he asked him whether his recent spin at Monmouth Park was really a stepping stone to tomorrow's big race. For sure, Tom. Yeah, no, it's after the the big effort in Saudi, we intentionally gave him a little time off just to kind of freshen him mentally and physically and Figured he needed a race under his belt, and the race at Monmouth was perfect on the calendar for a prep race for a race like the Whitney. So um, as much as we wanted to win, it was a great comeback race and something that really uh, hopefully has him good and strong and ready to go for the Whitney. Mm. Just on the horse, Doug, I've just been you know reading about him in, in preparation for, for chatting to you and... Um, you know, in some parts, I know he's got a few twos next to his name as as well as some ones. Uh, anyone out there looking to, to question him or, or or crab him in, in any way? What, how do you feel about that? What, what what would you say about that? You know, I would say he's a a, a grade one talent. With uh, you know, he just sometimes gets easily distracted hmm. and. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, that there's definitely more uh, we could see from him um, when that focus is completely on, um, completely on from, from gate to wire. So, uh, obviously, looking at this race that's coming up for the Whitney, he's going to have to uh, have his focus on for, from gate to wire. So, we're... Uh, um, we're putting blinkers back on him. Flavi and Pratt gets reunited with him, and uh, we're optimistic uh, we got a big chance. That that focus, Doug, is that is that an issue sometimes during the race? Is it an issue pre-race? When's when are you if you are concerned? When when are you most concerned? It's mainly in race. You know, it'll sometimes make the lead and, and kind of just get distracted and and, um, and not you know really separate himself. And, uh, and then he, you know, he's gotten nailed a few times doing that. So, you know, it's more of just, um, in race focus. And, um, I, I think a couple of those twos could be ones, uh, um, if you were to maintain that. So that's something we're striving to, um, get him to do. And, and, uh, we're hoping Whitney day is Whitney race is, uh, is a great example of, uh, what's to come. What's. What's his best distance, Doug, or, or does that depend on the track and, and how the race is run? I really think his race in the Belmont um, last year, going a mile and a half in the dirt, was, I, I know he, he ran second, but it was just so amazing that the kind of pace he showed and the kind of stamina he showed. So using that as, uh, as my... Uh, reason to say this, I would say the longer the better. Now, I know mm. the Whitney's a mile and eight, um, you know, it's, it's better than the mile that he ran to come back racing. But I think down the road, you know, mile and a quarter um, is going to be his, his steady sweet spot. Yeah, and the way he 
he battled on and, and fought back out in Dubai would, would would probably show that. Is 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 it a possibility further down the line that you head back to those sorts of races, or do you take it one race at a time? Yeah, I think the cliche one race at a time. But yeah, if he were to stay, uh, uh, you know, top notch, running against the top horses, and stay injury free, um, the current ownership group um, they don't seem like they're in a huge uh, hurry to get him into the uh, the stud barn. So uh, that's that's music my ears, of course, as a trainer. But um, but yeah, we'll, we'll I guess just stick with the one race at a time yeah look it's music to our ears as well from the media point of view because they seem to embody what what we buy into in horse racing you know that 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 i think you talked about it that fun aspect he's taken them all over the world and 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 they seem to 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 enjoy his runs out there just as much as he does amen no it's it's just nothing better than being connected with a a top racehorse and and, uh, uh getting to see uh different towns and different racetracks and meet um well, the, the irony really is how small the racing community is, because here you can be in California and go all the way over to Dubai, and you know you bump into so many people that you just saw in California. So it's a uh, it's a real small community, and uh, um, yeah, top racehorses like High Ride Charlie can take you all over the world, and, and we're hoping that can continue on. And lastly, how strong a Whitney is it, Doug, for you? I think even though the numbers, you know, it's just a six horse field, I think it's. Uh, you're going to have to run a, a lights-out race to get it done. I think it's an extremely tough race. Uh, I, I saw the morning line, Hot Rod Charlie's third choice at 9-2. to um, So, I mean, it, it's uh, it's very deep. There's speed in there. You know, the beauty of Hot Rod Charlie is I think he's versatile where he can take you wire to wire or he can sit off a hot pace. So, um, I'm excited. I'm optimistic, but it, it's a it's a tough race for sure. Wish you all the best. You too, Tom. Thanks so much. Thanks to Doug O'Neill talking to Tom Stanley. Yesterday, Lydia Hislop is still with me and has something for the weekend. I do, and I'm going to the Shergar Cup, uh, which is an event, I have to say, I do enjoy betting in. It's the Dubai Duty Free Sugar Cup Sayers Handicap, over two miles, pretty much. And I'm going to go for Super Super Jack, trained by Milton Harris, mm. and ridden on this occasion by uh, Nicola Curry. I think she won this race. I think she won this race last year when she made her uh, debut appearance um, in the Shergar Cup. Um, obviously, on a different horse. This time, she rides uh, Super Super Jack, who drops back in trip from just over two and a half uh, furlongs at Goodwood, where I thought he was a, a, a shade unfortunate. I still think he's improving, and I think that he can win the two forty-five at Ascot on Saturday. That is Super Super Jack. Quite a good jockey lineup. Uh, for the Shagar Cup this year. Obviously, it's yeah. been very year in, year out. Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, Joanna Mason is making her debut, of course, for the ladies team, captained by um, Hayley Turner, but that's got Nicola Curry in it, who made a big bang in the in the um, event last year, and Emma Jane Wilson, who's a, who's a regular there, and she, and she uh, rides very well, as you mentioned earlier. Frankie Dettori is back to captain the Europe team, um, uh, which has some interesting people in, in its team as well, including Antonio Frazu. Um, and then the Great Britain and Ireland team, captured by Jamie Spencer, has Danny Tedhope, Neil, Neil Callan there as well, which is great to see, and, and Kieran Schumark. Um, and then the rest of the world has Christophe Lemaire, along with Takeshi Yakuyama, Karen McAvoy, you mentioned as well, and Jason Collett. So, yeah, some really, some really good jockeys. I mean, I think it's this, when we think about um, this event, this is a long way away from the owner-based competition that it was originally conceived to be. And it was, the Shergar Cup has benefited from 
uh, being given the time and space to evolve into the concept it is now, which I think is a very successful one. And certainly you get a, a good a cross section of age groups and a, a, lot, a lot of young people going along to see uh, what's going on at Ascot. And there are a lot of um, events and exhibitions that are aimed at young people and aimed at families. Um, and it's it manages to cross that divide between there's music afterwards, but it manages to make the racing still at the centre, whilst having all of these other things that are more um, well linked, I think, to the main event. So I think it's been given time and space to, to evolve into what is a, is, a, is a really, really good day's racing. Yeah, I used to enjoy covering it for TV, I've got to say. It was, uh, it was quite fun and you got to meet lots of in- interesting riders from around the world that otherwise you wouldn't. So that takes place at Ascot tomorrow, Saturday. Lydia, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, August the 5th. We'll be back again to do it on Monday morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.